Where Did the Road Go This Month is sponsored by two really awesome people, Super Inframan and Allison Cook. If you want to join them or just become a patron, wheredidtheroadgo.com. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, real quick before we get into things, I, I, I always put this stuff at the end and uh, feel like I should put it at the beginning sometimes. If you have stories you want to share for, for listener stories, episodes, Email them to stories at wheredtheroadgo.com. Uh, general stuff, you can contact me at contact at wheredtheroadgo.com. Uh, there's also booking at wheredtheroadgo.com if, you, if you're someone who's uh, written a book or something and wants to come on the show. And of course, uh, always have to say, if you want to help out the show, become a patron. It's only $3 a month and it helps out fantastically and you get a ton of extra stuff every month. So um, for tonight's show, I have Mr. AP Strange. Hey, hey. And Super Inframan. Hello, hello. Sometimes known as Saxon. Sometimes known as Saxon. And has absolutely nothing to do with the band. <laughs> it does not, unfortunately. Have you listened to the band yet? You know, I still have it. I, I, I need to. <laughs> uh, I, I got to do that for uh, a couple of the folks on Instagram, too, that were just like, I, I let them down by not knowing about the band. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a couple good songs from the band. Okay, okay. Anyway, tonight, uh, thanks to AP Strange, we're going to talk about this Alien Animals book, which we only discovered by uh, when we went through the first Mysteries of the Unexplained uh, show, and a lot of the stories were from Alien Animals. And then we were like, we need to find this book. There were some great stories in here, and, and AP happened to have a copy. And uh, I'm... Uh, my my friend and listener Matt Festa actually got a cheap copy somewhere, read it, and sent it to me. But I haven't had a chance to read it, so we're going to rely on Mister Strange for what we're going to deal with in the book. He also has the cooler <laughs> cover. Yeah, I got the hard cover with the um, paper, the uh, <laughs> dust jacket, um, and I mean, I'll, I'll send a picture or whatever you can use on the social media or the show notes. But uh, I think Chris. When uh, we were talking about it before, Chris Chris Ernst said it looked like the Avengers, as led by Bigfoot, <laughs> yeah, like the Avengers of Cryptids. It was so know, it so. was so cool it made him swear. It did, yeah. <laughs> it, it oh yeah, it did. Like yeah, like, out of swear. Yeah, Bigfoot's in the middle. There's a, a big cat. There's a devil dog or a, a black dog, Loch Ness monster, and something with back. like an owl man. Owl man, yes. Yeah, and I and I'm sitting and here and looking a big at cat. My, I'm sitting here looking at mine, and you're like, oh, the cover's amazing. And I'm like, it's just that one Nessie picture, which is what mine has on it, like one, <laughs> of, the, one of the famous Nessie pictures, which is cool and all, but I wouldn't call it amazing. Yeah, yeah you know, what's funny is I looked on the inside, Jack, the inside cover of, of this book, trying to figure out who the artist was that drew that amazing picture. And it's the it's the same credits as the copy you have, because the... Um, it says cover image is like courtesy of the Fortean Picture Library, and it like the Loch Ness monster as taken by Doc Shields. Huh. So it says that it's that cover, but it's not. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, but I did, I did, I did end up looking into it, and um, the artist that drew this cover it was named Gino D'Achilles. Okay. And he he was a fantasy artist, and he did a lot of like Edgar Edgar, Edgar Rice Burroughs covers and some Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that. So um, a lot of fantasy and historical fiction. So uh, I looked in some of his other images. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, like. I thought the style looked familiar. It's vaguely Frazetta-esque. It's a little bit like Frank Frazetta, but okay. um, you, you know he did covers. Th this uh, Gino DeKille did covers for like John Carter on Mars, and, oh. and books like that. So I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. I think I've seen <laughs> examples of this guy's artwork. So. So this this book was published in uh, 1981 and authored by Janet and Colin Board. Yep. Um, this, yeah, the boards, the, the boards, I think get overlooked a lot. Like I don't hear people talk about them that much, but they did a lot of really cool stuff. I, I never heard uh, of them. Yeah. I mean, I think they were like more, uh, more well-known in, in the UK. Oh, well, okay. uh, yeah. something, something that's always been frustrating to me is like, we speak the same language, right? <laughs> but, but there's a lot of like, uh, British 14 stuff that like I never heard of until way later or like until I was really looking around on the internet and then find out like it's hard to get here. Yeah. You know, like st stuff like FW holidays books are like not nearly as common here or um, you don't hear about th like the Warminster thing or <laughs> TC <laughs> I'm Lethbridge. trying to think about what's that TC Lethbridge. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lot of stuff that's just like British that, even though it's still in the same language, we like it doesn't doesn't get covered here by by the uh, paranormal yeah. sphere that's in the good. same way that our stuff does. But so that's, that's that. it's it's a, it's a you know the the United States has this United States centric sort of view of things, and I think that's why. And even like Canada and England get get kind of pushed to the side. Right, right. And I mean, I think maybe it used to be a little different because I think there might have been some wider distribution of and sharing of the ideas back in like the seventies. Yeah. But um, some of the stuff, I'm like, oh, who's this guy? And then you read about it, and you're like, oh, well, everybody knew him back then. You right. Know? <laughs> it's right. a lot yeah. more crossover. Because if well, you look at 14 times in the um, 70s, it's like uh, you can find stuff from Lauren, like Lauren Coleman or John Keel or uh, Robert Anton Wilson. And so there was a lot more crossover between, between the two countries back then. I don't know. I don't know. But um, speaking of which, yeah, so the boards were involved with the 14 Dimes magazine. Um, prior to that, Janet Board was writing for like Flying Saucer Review and uh, a couple other UFO zines in the 60s and 70s. And um, that's how she met Colin before they got married was they both had, a, had an interest in, in UFOs. Um, Colin was more of a photographer and a writer and Janet was like an editor and a writer. So she did a lot of, uh, a lot of editing for various magazines. And, uh, like I said, contributing to flying saucer review, which like there's another one that's a British magazine that was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can find old copies of that, that's great. Um, you can find a lot of PDFs online, which is what I often have to settle for, but yeah, but they were commissioned that option now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is a good thing. And like if you go on scribed and things like that, sometimes you can find old issues. Uh yeah. um so uh yeah, they were commissioned to write or, or collect photos and captions and do research for a book called Mysterious Britain that they ended up just kind of writing together and that's kind of what got their name out there. So they were covering a lot of their first book was covering a lot of like mystical and um important sites in 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 the United Kingdom. 
focused on partly on like ley lines and those ideas, which was like a big interest of theirs and the folklore behind a lot of the places. They were also the custodians of the 14 picture library, Oh, which these days is, is, um, I think Janet board is mostly retired. She's, a, she's still around, but I don't know how active she is. And Colin passed away. I think I didn't write it down, but in the early two thousands, so the 14 picture library is currently at the archives for the unexplained in Sweden, which okay. is a great place for it. Yeah. Speaking of online places, AFU.se is the archives for the unexplained page. And you can find PDF copies of like old flying saucer zines from around the world <laughs> and uh, old newspaper clippings and uh, all kinds of stuff. You nice. can buy books from their library. So that's, that's an awesome site. So yeah, I wanted to get some background on the boards. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I keep uh, thinking some like soul is going to be kind enough to take a lot of these zines and put them in PDF form online, <laughs> but no luck yet. Well, no, they do though. And that's what I'm saying. Go yeah. to, go to AF, the AFU.se and you can oh, okay. find a, dir- a directory of tons of zines. Um, UFO researcher Isaac Coy has, has like tirelessly worked to scan and or have scan and <laughs> catalog this stuff and put it and put it on the website. So okay. yeah, I mean, it's a gold mine. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So uh, what, what, what stuff did you want to cover in here, AP? Okay. Well, um, I made a ton of notes, so this will this will make it kind of easy because um, I, I can just throw out names of of monsters and things, um, <laughs> and you guys can tell me which ones you want to hear. So um, before we do that, though, I had a few notes. Just the title, alien animals. They basically just it's it, we we think of it the same way you'd think of cryptids. Yeah. Right. In general, um, the boards had a little bit more of a supernatural acceptance of things and folkloric. So they would include um, things from folklore and and monsters and all different possibilities for these things rather than just biological, um, you know, uh, unexplained animals. Right, right. Flesh uh, and blood stuff. mm -hmm. Right, right. So um, the categories... So basically, their their criteria is that it's unidentified or unidentifiable, um, out of place. So like with the alien big cats, that's the main thing is that they shouldn't be there, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the other criteria is that they vanish without a, w- without a trace. And like, you know, there's no like physical evidence left behind. Well, I mean, not no physical ev- evidence, but they can't be captured or killed. It seems. Right, right, right. And sometimes right. footprints just disappear. Right. <laughs> they just stop. So the main category is, yeah, the main categ- categories they cover in the book are lake monsters, out of place, big cats, Large black dogs, giant birds slash birdmen, birdwomen, and number five here, big. It's a uh, big hairy mammals. So they say BHM a lot uh, or anthropoids. So oh. obvi- obviously, including Bigfoot, mostly Bigfoot, but <laughs> right. other big, big, large, big hairy mammals as well. So, um, so I, I got I got a whole list. Uh, <laughs> I, I was looking at this list and uh, chuckling about it because I just was writing a short description to remind myself what it was. Um, you had a show about the big black dogs, uh, Soraya, right? I don't think we've ever done. I, I have. I've had Watson on. Uh, I can't remember his first name for his Mist book, but we, I've never had him on for the dogs book he, he wrote. I have a big black dog book from Patrick Harper's sister, but I have yet to read it or have her on. I don't think we've ever covered, like, done a show on big black dogs. Huh. Okay. Well, that's good to know, because I was like, 
I think the majority of the stories I picked are big black dog stories. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> they're all so good. And also, like, that was a bit of a synchronicity for me when I first got this book because around that time uh somebody had had told me a story that was kind of big black dog related and i wanted to look into it for him and uh i didn't really like i didn't really have much in my book so when this arrived in the mail and i'm like oh there's a whole chapter on black dogs in here sweet (laughs) nice so we'll start with let's see i got headless ghost dog human face dogs black shook just just, uh, just black dog start with the first one you got there yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Paige. I mean, I, what, so, what was it? Headless ghost dogs? Headless ghost dog was pretty good. Um, it's better if you actually have the picture in front of you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so mm. that, this picture this picture to me uh, might have an explanation. I could probably come up with one. Okay. But it's, it's called the Tingewick ghost dog. Um, its head seems to just fade away above its neck. So the body itself is visible in the picture. Like the head, the head is kind of transparent. It says from its posture, it is apparently watching the activity above it and could not even be wagging its tail, which is also ha- hazy. The dog did not appear on other photographs taken at the same time of the same scene. Hmm. So this account here is this guy, this man was taking a picture of a, um, a tea party in Tingewick, Buckinghamshire. Uh, Arthur Springer was a ret- retired CID inspector from Scotland Yard sometime around 1916. He was just taking a picture of the tea party, and he didn't see an animal there at the time. Apparently, nobody's, nobody remembered a dog being there. It was only when the plates were developed that the headless dog became apparent. So this is 1916 photos, too. Okay. Nobody recognized, yeah, no, no one recognized the ghost dog, and there are no similar dogs living in the village. So, you know, I imagine if there was a headless dog in the village, people would know about it. But <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> tends to stand out. And it says in parentheses, there are a number of cases on record where apparitions have been photographically recorded, but were not visible at the time the exposure was made. This and other incomplete ghosts, again, tend to demonstrate the arbitrary nature of the manifestation. So um, so what, what do you think might explain it? Uh, well, especially back then, you would need to open the aperture on a camera to expose the film for a length of time to get the image printed on the plate properly. Right. Which would kind of mean everybody had to stand pretty still yep. in order to get the picture taken i'm not sure how true that was in 1916 i'm not a photography ex- expert but suppose that this dog appeared and was just moving its head around a lot mm. but the rest of it was staying still right. um i think that's why there was a note about the tail wagging because the tail is very visible in the picture uh seems to be solid but the head is the part that's transparent okay um so you'd imagine the tail would be wagging yes if he was moving his head around and trying to like steal something from the table you know <laughs> <laughs> um but i don't know it's a, it's kind of a spooky photo i like it it's just a, it's a little photo this a uh, mid-sized dog is like right next to this woman's leg and uh yeah you can't hardly see its head at all but the rest of it is uh right there right there in the frame and if the participants and the photographer are to be believed there was no dog there when they took the picture right so so that's a good little ghost dog yeah no kidding yeah all right so the next um, one on your list oh, i had human face dogs oh <laughs> that's too good to not include yeah no yeah. kidding 
Um, it says, even strangers, some black dogs are not all dog. Yeah, so I, I should note the part of the, the, this is a little different than the Mysteries of the Unexplained ones that you did because it's written kind of, uh, it, it, the stories aren't aren't necessarily separated out that way. So right. <laughs> I'm kind of dropping in with excerpts here. That's fine. Uh, in a in a traditional story from Lincolnshire, the site of a former cottage at Nath was haunted by a black dog with a woman's face. While a dog with a monk's head haunts the area around Clapton Hall near Great, Bar- Great Billings, Suffolk. Uh, I apologize to anyone in the UK if I'm pronouncing all these things wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these seem to have been permanent features. So uh, these were dogs that were seen uh, time and again, a black dog with a woman's face and a dog that had a monk's head on it. <laughs> and they were always seen that way. Wow. Um, but there are more reports describing dogs which changed their form before the witness. Sometimes the new form was that of another animal, as happened in 1905 at Ho Benham near Newbury, Berkshire. When on a, on a moonlit night, the witness saw a large black dog turn into a black donkey which vanished after rearing up on its hind legs. More often, though, the new form was human. A tale from Lowstoff, Suffolk, tells of a black dog which turned into an evil Italian. <laughs> uh, I gotta laugh at that. While, while, while swimming with a boy in the sea. Another black dog was seen on nine successive evenings by a plowboy at Lower Quinton, Warwickshire, appeared in the form of a headless woman dressed in a silk gown on the last occasion. Um, I found that one a little confusing. So there was a black dog that was seen the last time they saw it, it turned into a woman, yeah. a headless woman, or it just appeared as a headless woman. It's kind of strange. The mm-hmm. It's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Nova Scotia, a black dog was often seen at Roosbrook. Sometimes only a bright light was seen. And on one, one occasion, a man who had been drinking and so felt brave turned to ask to ask the thing why it was following him. It pounced on him and nearly choked him to death. Afterwards, he said it looked like a black dog, but when it got him by the throat, it seemed more like a person. Huh. Uh, so then it gets into, like, witches sometimes used to change into black dogs, and we return to the art of shape-shifting in Chapter 6. The devil was also thought to change himself into a black dog. Right. In fact, some, right, yeah. In fact, some people also thought the black dogs were manifestations of the devil, and their descriptions reflect this belief. Interesting. Uh, the, the black dog of Craig and Orden and Sutherland though at first appearing as a dog later on seemed to have acquired a hideous face in human form with horns sticking out of its head. Oh, wow. And there are many other instances in the lore where the identification of a black dog with the devil is even more explicit than this. Huh. So uh, the large black dog chapter in this book is phenomenal. <laughs> uh, what do you got? What are, your, what are your thoughts? I'd like to hear some thoughts on human face dogs. <laughs> oh, so I was going to throw out, I was I came across, so this is one of those things I did not plan to do, but I was in Cambridge. Um, this is probably five years ago now. And we were at a little uh, kind of village next to Cambridge. I, I had a, a family friend that was getting married and uh, they had a, a black dog story there. But um, it seemed like a very... It, there wasn't much about it. I just saw a plaque next to the church that mentioned it, but, um, it was more of a positive story. Like the dog had done something to help somebody there, but had been killed and still roamed around. But, uh, I, I kind of love that contrasted with how scary all these stories are from the book. Uh, especially when you get people with, right. uh, human face dogs. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of picking out the weirdest ones. Uh, yeah. So this church that you're talking about, 
you said it was in Cambridge? Yeah, Cambridgeshire. Okay, yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the most famous black dog, dog stories is uh, related to a church. I think I have okay. it here. Um, it goes back to like the 1500s. Uh, oh, you know, I got to correct yeah, myself uh, here. I said that, uh, whatchamacallit, Sister wrote a book on black dogs, but it's actually black. It's, it's out-of-place cats. Ah, okay. Patrick Harper's oh, sister okay. did one on out-of-place cats, not black dogs. Okay, well, I got some of those stories, but I didn't collect as many of those. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, the re- the reason for that is that um, those often seem to happen in flaps. So <laughs> what you end up with is like pages and pages about uh, one particular black cat sighting that went on for months. You know, right. or uh, not black cat, but like puma sighting. Um, uh, but uh, let's see. I think it was Black Shook. Hold on. This is the Black Dog, which wrecked such havoc in Bungay and Blytheburg churches in 1577, did so during a th- terrible thunderstorm. And the other appearances of strange animals in churches also took place during storms. Yeah, I've heard so, of that. Um, yeah, that's the famous one. And I'm, I thought I had it, but I guess not. I've also heard uh, stories about Black Dogs showing up to lead people to safety and then disappearing. Yeah. Yeah, I think with this story in particular, it was it was like the um, the storm came and the dog the dog seemed to come with the storm. So it was oh okay uh, Sunday, fourth August, fifteen seventy seven. During the morning, when people were at church, a tor- terrible storm arose, and in Bungay Church, a black dog suddenly appeared. His presence was fatal, for he passed between two members of the congregation, and as they were kneeling upon their knees and occupied in prayer, as it seemed wrung the necks of them both at one instant clean backward, insomuch that even at a moment when they kneeled, they strangely died. Another man was injured when the black dog gave him such a gripe on the back that therewith all he was presently draw, drawn together and shrunk up, as it were a piece of leather scorched in a hot fire, or as the mouth of a purse or a bag drawn together with a string. The man, albeit he was in so strange a taking, died not, but as it is thought is yet alive sorry that's all written in like weird middle english yeah, uh, yeah. Abraham- <laughs> it, 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 it makes me think that a black uh, that ball lightning appeared as a black dog yeah right yeah it's kind of like that yeah um see on the self-same day in like manner into the parish church of another town called blybury not above seven miles distant from Mongay, above said and the like thing entered in the same shape and similitude where placing himself upon a main balk or beam whereon some ye rude did stand. <laughs> he gave yeah. a swing down on ye church, and there also, as before, slew two men and lad, and burned the hand of another person that was there amongst the rest of the company, hmm. of whom diverse were blasted. This mischief thus wrought, he flew with wonderful force into the, to no little fear of the assembly out of the church in a hideous and hellish likeness. So yeah, this church, this particular church, has marks on the door, like scratch marks that were supposed to have been from the black dog. Okay. And it's still there now, so I didn't know if that was the same church. Um, this, it might be. Huh. And there's a picture. Um, there's a picture in here where it's like the black dog is on the weather vane. Oh, cool! So I don't know if that rings any bells for you, Saxon. But I guess you it's probably not the same place. <laughs> I, I can't tell. I'm. I'm trying to. I'm actually looking at the places in my album on my phone to see if I have a picture of the plaque, and I can't seem to find it. So I'm. I'm going to give up on it because it's keeping me from participating. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can find a picture of the plaque and uh, and send it to you, Sarai, and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll post it on Twitter. AP. Um, okay, beautiful. Yeah, but you know, it, it was one of those things where I knew about the general idea of the black shark, uh, but I always thought, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like the Hound of Baskerville sort of idea, where it was a um, 
a bad omen and this was seemed to be more of a you know it it wasn't so uh negative i suppose but you know i'm sorry that's not much of a memory to use though <laughs> and and the thing is like seriously yeah. it's, it sounds like a plasma formation but i'm not aware of plasma you know appearing as if it's black well you have a black dog sighting, yeah Soraya, right what's that you have a black dog sighting no. Oh, I thought you saw a dog that like stood in for a black dog or something like that. No. Oh, was that somebody else on the show? Maybe. I don't remember ever seeing a black dog. I saw I saw a real black dog that was gigantic, but it was a real dog. Yeah, okay. I think that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, because it was one of those things where we were walking down well, the road I mean, and there was this huge, it must have been a St. Bernard or something, and it was mostly black and it was in the ditch next to the road, and then we looked at it and went, that seems like a big dog, and then it came out of the ditch, and we went, oh, that's that's a really big dog. <laughs> but I don't think I had any yeah. paranormal well, dogs. The, dogs. The, the, the black dogs in these stories, the way they kind of uh, differentiate the large black dogs that they're talking about from what would be a normal dog is, first of all, the size, they're bigger, mm-hmm. um, sometimes like shaggier and glowing red eyes is a common feature with these right um sometimes there's a noxious breath or smell that's often reported with these like a phosphorus kind of or sulfurous kind of smell um sometimes they vanish in plain sight just kind of like disappear into thin air um there's reports of invisible dogs or they can shape as we we're talking about already shape shift and mm. shift into another animal so in fact i had one that was a um was talking about a fox that that could change shape into other animals. That was actually in America, though. I think that was in um in the mountain areas down south. I uh, oh. I just did a quick Google search on like black plasma or stuff, and apparently there's some Minecraft guy who goes by the name of uh, Black Plasma. So it's like oh, Black gosh. Plasma Studios, and that's all oh. that comes up. <laughs> just in, just in the black. you know. Just on the off chance that people had reported, you know, plasma as being black, because then that would lead to to some, you know, to potentially some yeah. some some kind of explanation of why this stuff actually sounds like ball lightning in the form of a black dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. down to the birds yeah. and stuff. Well, the, the the other thing is, it's not always it's not always storms. Um, a lot of times they're found at crossroads. Right, that connects to Hecate as well. Oh, does it? Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and particularly along like ley lines. So Janet and Colin Board were way into the Alfred Watkins uh, old straight track ley line theories. Mm. So they connect a lot of this stuff uh, um, in general, but particularly the black dogs to the ley lines. Okay. Um, they actually include a map of, of England as well that has all the different black dogs and their local names. So Shook or Black Shook is... Uh, just one area it says it's Norfolk but other black dogs are called like Skeff, Old Shock Shooky Dog uh, Scarf is one, Galley Trot <laughs> Mody Die like Mody Do let's see, the, Trash is one of them just Trash or Guy Trash <laughs> uh, Scriker is Lancashire and Yorkshire uh, Barguest or Bargeist um, I think that's a black so metal band What's that? I think that's a black metal band. Yeah, well, that's what it probably means. <laughs> <laughs> There's one called Hooter and Harry Jack. Ah, so Harry Jack, I like Harry yeah, Jack. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to attempt the Welsh one. Uh, right. <laughs> but when, yeah, as far, when you were talking earlier about the the human face dogs, I mean, those seem way more apparitional. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just because, you know, yeah. dogs don't have human faces. So if you have a dog with a human face, it seems like it must be a manifestation of some sorts. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I like, I think those might be more folkloric as well. As yeah, I said, the yeah. boards were collectors of folklore as well, so they they included a lot of those stories where maybe other authors wouldn't have. Right, um, right. And I think that's coming around more now, like especially with like you know Tim Renner and Josh Kutchin, absolutely collecting a lot of stuff for their books, and um, I think people are starting to incorporate more of it in again. But they they certainly weren't the kind of flesh and blood monster hunter types that were going to exclude the folk tales. So yeah. nor should mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. We don't, yeah. The, and that's what makes this book great. You know, it's really fun. Yeah. Fun to read. The, the uh, dogs with the human faces reminds me of the, the reverse of that, of, you know, the dog-headed people that show up in different uh, folklore, too. Um, is there even, like, a, oh, yeah. a saint that has a dog head in some of the depictions of it? I think. Let's see. Um, yeah, I've heard of that. There is a saint that's just a dog, too. It's um, just a dog. Well, oh, yeah. Go. Oh, there's one sainted dog although it's not go ahead uh yeah not not officially there's an unofficial um dog saint okay um, is it a saint bernard but <laughs> no it's not it's actually not um i forget actually i, I heard about it a little while ago um i didn't want to spend the whole time on dogs though because there's so much in this book uh yeah I got one more though that's that I think is really interesting. Is right. a uh, uh, oh, this one's a white dog that appeared on the anniversary of a UFO sighting to the witness. Oh, um, oh. Uh, it says in Bur- in Burnley, Lancashire, a woman who had previously sighted a UFO and whose husband had been a- seen a shadowy figure in their home was awoken at 2.25 a.m. on the 23rd of August, 1977, exactly a year after her UFO sighting, even to the minute. By a knocking on the door. She went and opened it, but there was only a big white dog staring in at her. She went away and the knocking started again, but this time when she opened the door, there was nothing there. Going upstairs, she put out the lights and waited with the window open. When the knocking began again, she looked out, but there was no one there. The next day, a UFO was reported as having been seen over the town the previous night. Oh, oh that's so, cool. Um, it says, yeah, it says also, South in South Africa, the United States, there have been reported incidents linking black dogs even more closely with ufos so um which makes no sense if you, which makes no sense if ufos are you know alien right right there's a story in lauren coleman's book um mothman and other curious encounters about like a flying saucer landing in a field and just a bunch of dogs getting out really <laughs> i haven't heard that <laughs> yeah one. It's, it's like a dozen dogs just get off the saucer away. <laughs> 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 um i think that might be in here too actually but uh that it's it's yeah it's weird the dog the dog slash flying saucer connection so what of the russian uh, cosmonaut dogs fell through a portal uh got a ufo built a see i do wonder about that (laughs) hell yeah hell yeah um so so that's dogs do you guys want to talk some lake monsters because that's like my favorite thing absolutely oh let's do it lake monsters never get enough attention no they don't and i'm a big nessie fan uh (laughs) And I think uh, just to make sure I do have time because I've meant to talk about this man on podcasts uh, easily half a dozen times and just didn't get to it. This book includes stuff from a man called Tony Doc Shields, Doc being kind of like his stage name. So the the copy that you have, Soraya, with the picture of Nessie, that was a picture that Doc Shields took. Right of the Loch Ness monster. Um, so I have a, I have the excerpt of him taking that picture. 
He said he was standing at Urquhart Castle when a sleek head broke the surface rather less than 100 yards away. Part of the neck showing above the waterline must have been around four or five feet long. Color of the animal was greenish brown with a paler underside. Skin texture smooth and glossy. The animal was visible for no more than four or five seconds. It held itself very upright, very still, except for a slight turning of the head and a straightening of the neck before it sank very smoothly below the surface and powerful neck muscles. And he managed to quickly fire off two frames of a high-speed ectochrome and the transparencies. Um, let's see. And he also photographed uh, Morgor in Falmouth Bay off of Cornwall. A little about Doc Shields, because he's a very interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. He took that picture of Nessie. He took another picture of a sea serpent called Morgor. He was a surrealist, a stage magician, jazz musician, and a self-styled wizard. You uh, say was. <laughs> did he pass away? Uh, well, no, I mean, these are all... No, he's still alive, I believe. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how active he is nowadays, but uh, I actually just found out in prepping for the show that I think there was a documentary made about him a couple of years ago. Oh. But if you look on YouTube, you can find old appearances he did on different TV shows. And I shared one on Twitter recently, and it's pretty great because uh, his whole thing was he came up with this concept called Monster Mind, uh-huh. where he got together a network of psychics all over the world. Um, I think maybe just like five or six of them. And the idea was that they were going to put their intention out to psychically contact the monsters in their locale and try to get them to appear. So Doc claims he did this at at Loch Ness. And um, when I first looked into him, when I was reading this book the first time, (laughs) I did, you know, I started looking around on the web and I found a newspaper article that said, um, I had Nessie, Nessie under my spell, claims Wizard. And I'm like, all right, whoever this guy is, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the whole plan is that he was going to, you know, use his psychic and magic abilities to conjure the Loch Ness Monster. And, and he claims that he did. And he did the same thing with the sea serpent in Cornwall, um, Morgor. And you can see that in the video that I that I shared, um, I'll have to find the link for it and pass it along but he's just kind of standing on the beach going like more <laughs> <laughs> and he enlisted the help of um several nude witches that of were course. Uh, because you gotta have that um so i mean he's like a really silly guy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but i absolutely love him and he did kind of get results you know because around the same time he was d- trying to summon morgor he, that was where you started getting sightings of the owl man in uh, Monon in the same place, Cornwall. It's still in Cornwall. So, um, uh, and then other psychics that were part of the project, I guess, had some some level of re- some some level of success in their locales. I think one of them was in like Russia. Someone, some in America, maybe. But they all, a lot of them, dropped out because of what they said was uh, psychic fatigue huh. or psychic backlash. I guess was the word. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So the, the monster mind experience experiments in 1977 went from January to February involved psychics in Britain, India, the United States, USSR, and Mexico. So there was a water monster sighted in Calcutta. There were, there were some Loch Ness monster sightings, a sighting in Loch Shiel, which that's a weird synchronicity. Doc Shiel's yeah. Loch Shiel. Um, <laughs> The photographs were taken of the Lake Loch Morer creature and of Morgor. So they said they they did a second experiment in May 
and it, it was supposed to last three months, but uh, there was a psychic backlash suffered by several participants in the first experiment. A number, number of them didn't take part, and then Doc dropped out after a while. Oh. Um, but he got the pictures of the Loch Ness Monster during that time, one of which was the cover on, on Soraya's copy of the book. Yeah. He's 84 years old now. Uh, yep. His website does not work. And according to <laughs> not surprising. Wikipedia, he is an artist, a magician, a writer, a busker, a psychic, entertainer, and a hoaxer. And a hoaxer. Okay. Wait, so hoaxer is back on there, huh? I mean, there's nothing in What's the that? article that suggests he hoaxed anything, but he's li listed as a hoaxer. Oh, I mean, he's widely considered a hoaxer. But um, <laughs> because uh, the picture of Morgor isn't very convincing to me. I mean, it's just a black shape on the water. Ah. Um, yeah. But he has never admitted to faking anything. Okay. So um, he says that the the methods that he used, you know, just getting some sky clad witches on the beach and yelling for the monster, and the boards reference the concept of the tol tulpa. So they were wondering if, like, maybe the monster mind team was creating the monsters rather than summoning them. Right. Just kind of like if mm. they, they weren't already being called, they were just being invented, you know. I remember reading an article in Fate where someone had a Loch Ness sighting where the face of it just kept morphing as they were watching it. And, you know, you, you think yeah. about that, and the fact that these monsters shouldn't be able to live in these lakes suggests that there's also a, a more paranormal element to their existence. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff from uh, Shields, I found a, a picture from uh, 1984, 40 in Times, where he's got a, a hypothetical cephalopod version of Nessie that's sort of like a, you know, strange looking uh, squiddy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the octopus. That. Yeah. Yep. And, but have you guys, I, I've talked about this guy forever ago, but there is Ted Holliday did a book called The Goblin Universe and some other things like that. Oh, right, yeah. And I almost mm -hmm. feel like he was kind of aping maybe Shields in a way because he tried to, he performed an ex exorcism on the lock with a priest. But yep. one of his theories. That's for, in here. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yep. And then one of his things was he thought that Nessie was like uh, a snail or something like that, like some type of mollusk. Hmm. Uh, yeah, a telemonstrum, the telemonster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all referenced in here because uh, the the Reverend Dr. Donald Omond was exercising the Loch Ness with, uh, with Ted Holliday there. Um, he was uh, exercising the spirit of evil, he said, and it wasn't so much the monsters unless they were there to cause a malevolent effect on human beings. Uh, Doc Shields has a has a uh, prescription for the for <laughs> psychic backlash, though. Um, oh. It says there's a defense against it because I guess Oman and uh, Ted Holiday suffered that kind of psychic backlash. Shields says monster raising can cause illness. This happened to several members of my Monster Mind team, and I know it happened to such stalwart hunters as Tim Dinsdale and Ted Holiday. Why? The simple answer is that. And all things magical, you pay for what you get. The very best protection against this disturbing type of psychic backlash is humor. The protection, in turn, has to be paid for. So, although my humorous wizardry is successful, it is not taken too seriously by the monster, monster hunting establishment. <laughs> and that makes about as much sense to me as anything else, right? Like, if you... If you're a ridiculous person, and you're doing ridiculous things to achieve what most people would consider a fantastic result, like a fantastically ridiculous result, 
um, you may very well achieve that result because nobody's going to believe you, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're willing to accept that, that's the price you pay, and you can laugh about it, right? Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? And gosh, I, it, some different chaos magic stuff I read would talk about, like you know, uh, banishing where you would go and like tell jokes and laugh and play, you know, comedy routines. So you, you know, it's like totally changing. Your, your mindset afterwards too. I never thought about that as something that would carry over to uh, <laughs> the psychic backlash. Hmm. Well, right. But I mean, it's kind of a way of thinking, right? And this is something I, I, this is something I practice in my life a lot more now. Uh-huh. And it's, it's made my life a lot more fun. Uh, may, may have been partially inspired by shields, but, um, and it's a whole other topic entirely. I did a different, uh, <laughs> I did a project archivist episode about this. It's just like the humor and magic is, is like, um, doing like hilarious magic, doing things that are absolutely absurd and, and just funny can get those results. And absolutely nobody's going to believe you <laughs> 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 because it's so silly. Yep. Um, and it's it's been working for me, so I'm gonna roll with it. But uh, yeah, Shields is a very entertaining character, and, and like I said, he's just uh, he was writing for 14 times at the time. And the funny thing with the boards here in the book is they just write about him as though you know who he is. Like they don't bother <laughs> describing him too much. <laughs> right. Well, also the time period he would have been in the news a lot anyway. Yeah, he was in the news. I, I actually have some clippings from. Uh, uh, in my files of of some of his exploits from from an old collection of clippings that I got, and yeah, he was in the news often enough. He was on TV sometimes, so uh, yeah, people knew who he was. And he was also regularly writing for Fourteen Times. He had he had the Ask a Wizard column. So <laughs> nice. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Doc Shields, personal hero of mine in some ways. Uh, he was also kind of a drunk. <laughs> so, I hope he's still not still doing that part, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, if he is, he's made it to eighty four doing it. So, but say yep. work for him yeah, if that's the case. <laughs> yep. And you want to talk but, about the uh, Owl Man yeah, a little I, too? The what? The Owl Man. Uh, yeah, the Owl Man's kind of connected to yeah. Shales too. And uh, after reading the book and then looking into it, I kind of became convinced that um, the Owl Man was just kind of created by Doc Shields. It might have just been like something that he made up. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I, other people have convinced me otherwise. So I guess there's there's been other sightings. And you said you had a guest on that talked about it once, right? Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but I know we discussed it at some point. Because I know there's a guy that has a book that's all about like uh the owl man or like bird like humanoids i don't know did we uh, talk about it the first time you were on maybe with the with uh uh, the other oh maybe you know maybe that was what i'm thinking of huh maybe uh but there's some great drawings in here uh of it i think the first sighting was by a 12 year old and nine year old girl and the feathered bird man was just kind of like hovering over the church uh so the church is near a cliff edge, the slope of which down to the stony beach is covered with trees. The next sighting of Owl Man was made on the 3rd of July, this time among the trees. Two girls, both age 14, were camping in the wood when they heard a strange hissing noise. Looking around, they saw a figure standing among the pine trees only 20 yards away. Uh, Sally said it was like a big owl with pointed ears as big as a man. The eyes were red and glowing. At first, I thought it was someone dressed up playing a joke trying to scare us. I laughed at it. We both did. And then it went up in the air and we both screamed. When it went up, you could see its feet were like pinchers. 
So that's kind of creepy too, like two curved toes. Right. <laughs> yeah. The other description from Barbara, the other girl, it's true. It was horrible. A nasty owl face with big ears and big red eyes. It was covered in gray feathers. The claws on its feet were black. It just flew straight up and disappeared into the treetops. So they both drew it. Um, and it's described as flying similarly to like Mothman where so I was gonna uh, say. where it doesn't have to like flap its wings. It just shoots away. Yeah. Know? Like stretches the wings yeah. out and flies. Almost <laughs> yeah. like it's levitating. Yeah. 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 And that that's pretty upsetting. I think like <laughs> just the, the, the physics defying nature of that would be like mind bending enough to, to really throw you off guard. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of why I love the, the bad beast of Kent. Um, because he's like the owl man of Cornwall. What's what's wild is you know Cornwall's basically like the, on the complete west tip, southwest tip of England, and then mm-hmm. Kent is all the way on the uh, excuse me the west tip of England. Kent's on the on the east side of England. Like they're about as far away from each other as they can be. But uh, the Bat Beast of Kent was sighted, I guess, in '63, uh, and he looks very much like. You know, no head, just wings and feet, <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah. it's, it's in that same, you know, uh, set of features that Mothman has and um, Owlman has. Yeah. 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 Oh, I was I was going to say that they're similar without looking like necessarily one another. Yes. Yes. And that similar behavior makes me think, you know, the thing is, if you're going to if you're going to make up a story about a giant owl, I'm pretty sure you're going to have its wings flap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, they actually have a, a compare and contrast list with Owlman versus Mothman in here, too. Oh, um, cool. So, so the um, commonalities are they both take off vertically, like we were talking about. They both have red eyes. They're both gray in color. Both have wings instead of arms. Um, both are man-shaped and sized, like roughly the shape and size of a man. The obvious differences are that Mothman doesn't have a head that's easy to like make out, um, while the Owlman did, right. mm-hmm. and it was described. Uh, Mothman's feet aren't really ever described very well, but the uh, witnesses of Owlman saw that they were like black pinchers or claws. Mm-hmm. The Owlman was only seen in that one part of Cornwall, like a very small part of Cornwall, and Mothman was seen kind of, um, you know, so the Owlman was seen just around that church, but Mothman was seen in the TNT area chasing cars, like yeah. further further away outside of Point Pleasant. So it was. Um, Do we have any nice disasters at the end of the Owlman sightings? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I don't anything think so. crazy happened in Cornwall at the end of it. No. Hmm. So that's. I've always been curious about that because, you know, I, I can never decide if this is revisionist or not of like the Blackbird of Chernobyl, um, you know, which basically was supposed to foretold the Chernobyl disaster, uh, you know, that they saw Mothman or something like that around there, you know, in the weeks leading up. But I've never really found anything that uh, set that in history and it wasn't somebody just making more like a creepypasta story about it. You know? I, I think they, they made up a bunch of that stuff for the movie. Okay. Okay. Did they do that in the Mothman Prophecies movie? No, but when they were promoting yeah. it, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think they do mention it in the movie, but I mean, I think also when they were promoting it, they were putting up, you know, Mothman was seen at all these places and I'm going, I don't think that's true. 
And I think someone verified that they just kind of did it as a promotional thing for the movie. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Because it, it seems very uh, on the nose in the wrong kind of way. Yes. And we, were you saying yeah, it was yeah. in the movie too, AP? Yeah. I mean, they have that part kind of where uh, Richard Gere's character uh, um, meets the, the guy that had been investigating winged creatures, right? So he had Leak. like a whole file on him and tries it. Yeah. John Leak is yeah. the name. <laughs> Just yeah. keel backwards, yeah, yeah. So I, I think he he opens up a book and just kind of goes like, they've been seen down through the centuries. Like you don't want to mess with this thing, you know. But uh, I actually have. Well, it's not really in this book, but we were talking about Ted Holiday. A commonality between Mothman and Nessie is that <laughs> when when Ted Holiday was writing like the Goblin Universe, he, he started having a lot of high strangeness effects as well there was some very killian weird stuff happened to him including like visits from the men men in black and and uh stuff like that so it's kind of interesting that that um as shields alluded to in here like the troubles that he went through after being in contact with uh or or engaged with the effort of of discovering the loch ness monster so hmm. Uh, interesting to consider the the tangential phenomena, the high strangeness attached to like any of these creatures, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You can go to wheredidtheroadgo.com for everything Where Did The Road Go related. All the links to our social media, our Twitter, Patreon, YouTube, Facebook, Discord, everything. Everything is up there, as is every show since the very first show in January of 2013 you can download them all there's plenty of other material to look through as well and it's all at where did the road follow us on facebook join the facebook group join the discord talk to us if you want to contact me the three main emails are contact at where did the road for general things stories at where did the road if you want to send us some stories for our listener stories show Booking at wheredidtheroadco.com if you want to come on the show because you're an author or a researcher and want to talk about your work. Those are the best ways to get in touch. I want to thank everyone that listens to this show, that is hearing this, uh, that has supported us in any way. And I particularly want to give a shout out to those Patreons pledging $10 or more. Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, CJ. Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Anne Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., Edu Camahort, MTK, Eric Todd, James Lattimore, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupree, Sam Sharon, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. 
Also, a special extra shout-out to Vincent Trewell, who does all the recaps of the shows that get posted on the website and YouTube. I thank you all so very, very much. This show would not be what it is without you. So we are back, and we're talking with AP Strange and uh, about alien animals, and also Super Inframan is here with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, AP has actually read the book, unlike the two of us. <laughs> I have a copy. I just haven't uh, had a chance to read it yet, but uh, you've read it a couple of times now, AP. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was been going through it the last couple of weeks, just trying to pick out some of the best stories. So, well, we have a little time uh, left here. So, uh, did you want to continue on on the the owl man type of stuff, or you want to go for something else? Uh, I wanted to double back to the lake monsters real quick. Okay. And then maybe like kind of a nice Bigfoot story. Sure. Yeah. We'll end on a on a happy note there. Um, <laughs> so this one's like one of the first stories in the book. The and I, like I said, place names that are unfamiliar to me. This is Ireland, and I definitely can't do Ireland. It's spelled N A H O O I N. So Nahoon, I guess. Loch Nahoon. Which is probably completely wrong. Probably wrong. And when I tried to look this place up, it doesn't appear on Google, so they must have changed the name of the lake at some oh, point. Interesting. But um, this story, this story stuck with me. Like it hits me pretty in a weird in a weird way because um, I had a nightmare exactly like this when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know if I read this story in a different collection or something, but um, this was one of the ones that that Ted Holiday collected, uh, and it's an Irish lake monster. Uh, at about seven in the evening of 22nd February 1968, Stephen Coyne went down to the bog by the loch to bring up some dry peat. With him, he took his eldest son, a boy of eight, and the family dog. Although the sun had set, it was still quite light. On reaching the peat bed beside Nahoon, he suddenly noticed a black object in the water. Thinking it was the dog, he whistled to it. However, the dog came bounding along the shore from behind him. On seeing the object, it stopped and started barking. He then saw that the object was an animal with a pole-like head and neck about nine inches to a foot in diameter. It was swimming around in various directions. From time to time, it would put its head underwater. Two humps then came into view. Occasionally, a flat tail appeared. Once this came out near the head, which uh, argued length and a high degree of flexibility. The thing was black, slick, and hairless with a texture resembling an eel. The dog's barking seemed to irritate the monster, and it began to move inshore, its mouth wide open. However, when Coin strode over to support his dog, it turned away and resumed swimming around the little lock. At about this point, the little boy ran home to bring his mother to see the strange beast. When Mrs. Coin and the children returned, the Peist, an Irish name for water monsters, was busily uh, patrolling the tiny lake. And I'm pretty sure I got that pronunciation right. This word is P-E-I-S-T-E. Yeah. So that's an Ir- Irish word for like a beast or a monster, you know? Okay. Um, both Mr. and Mrs. Coyne agreed that the creature was about 12 feet long and both agreed they saw no eyes. Mrs. Coyne told us that she noticed two horn-like projections on the top of the head. Whereas she thought the thing... Approached as near as four to five yards, her husband felt that the nearest point was about nine yards. Both agreed that the mouth was underslung in relation to the snout, and neither of them saw any teeth. Coyne described the mouth interior as pale. To and fro before the seven members of the Coyne family strutted the Nahoon dragon, 
as dusk was settling, they finally left it and made their way home over the bog. So, I mean, the thing's still swimming around. They just went home. (laughs) But to your point earlier, Soraya, this lock is only 100 yards by 80 yards, and its its, uh, average depth is 20 feet deep. Okay. And you said that word was P-I-S-T-E? P-E-I-S-T-E. Oh, P-E-I. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was thinking, I was thinking peasty, like rhyming with beastie. Mm-hmm. But it, from what I could tell, it's actually pronounced peist, like something like that, peist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's just a, it's just a Irish or Celtic word for for like a a monster or a beast of some kind. So yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean that's pretty phenomenal to have like a twelve foot long, well, uh, long necked horned creature in a lock that's only 20 feet deep for yes. most of it so so, <laughs> so the definition of peist is a troublesome person or thing any time of any type of deadly epidemic disease especially bubonic plague huh. so beast works you know a monster okay <laughs> you know that would remind me i i may this may have been a carl Schuker story i can't remember where he had come across tales that basically sounded like eels that could migrate between bodies of water, kind of like a, a, a mud puppy or something like that. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm trying to look for it on Google while we're talking, but I, I haven't found it yet. But it, the, the description uh, with uh, made me think of that. But, you know, Ireland and those places are so weird anyway. Like, <laughs> there's so much yeah. stuff that happens. Like, I... Uh, I would put it much more on something that's not real uh, in the flesh and blood sense, but is very real in another sense. Uh, I was going to say, like Saxon, you brought up earlier the idea of it being kind of a mollusk. I think that was where Ted Holliday was going with that, is that when you're talking about the horny protrusions, it's kind of like slugs always have those two things sticking off the top of their head. Like the eye stalks or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yep. And if they're mollusks like that, they can maybe like squish down or just live under the peat bog you know like (laughs) um so that kind of makes sense or you know some kind of magical being you know right right yeah i'm also amused that they just kind of went home after that one sighting like it was still there they were just kind of like all right i'm bored (laughs) well it's getting dark you know so yeah (laughs) it's like what is that Eh, it's time to go home (laughs) yeah but no, I had a dream exactly like that when I was a kid, which was really weird. Like my dog was barking at the lake monster and it was coming towards us. And I was, so I must've read that story as a kid or something, but well, uh, you know, it went back in time. Yeah. And my reading, it just traveled back to my childhood sleeping brain. <laughs> <laughs> but I was scared of the dream. I'm like, Oh, lake monster's going to eat my dog, you know? So, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, so the one more I have, uh, the note I made for it is Bigfoot befriends grandpa. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if this was included in Tim and Josh's book, but it may have been. Uh, <laughs> that occurred to me after. That's um, right. One, so this is one of the Bigfoot stories from here. I wanted to include at least one. Let's see. It's uh, from a Native American gentleman talking about a story his grandfather told him. It's kind of a cool gifting story slash just kind of becoming friends with Bigfoot. And he says the the man's name was John Green, I guess. Sometimes Sasquatch would take food and leave things in exchange and two accounts of injured men being carried back to camp by him. 
Hmm. So there, okay, this is a different guy. Um, it says, well, it's the parlance of the time. An American Indian recalling in 1968 his or her grandfather's encounters with the uh, Matacogni, in parentheses, Sasquatch, tells how he first met one in 1897 near his cabin home in the mountains near Tulula Lake, California. Um, at dusk, he was walking along a trail and realized that what he thought was a bush was, in fact, a tall, hair-covered creature. Although it was growing darker, grandfather was able to see quite clearly two soft brown eyes through a hairy head part. Then the creature moved slightly, and grandfather made a motion of friendship and laid down the string of fish that he had been carrying. The creature evidently understood this as it quickly snatched up the fish and struck out through the timber nearby. A few weeks later, grandfather heard strange noises outside his cabin early in the morning, and when he looked, he found fresh deer skins ready for tanning. He heard in the distance a call which he had heard the Sasquatch make before. At other times, wood for fuel, wild berries, and fruits were left. Several years later, which would make it early in the 20th century, Grandfather acted as a guide for treasure-hunting white men in the Mount Shasta area. While exploring alone, he was attacked by a rattlesnake. Grandfather killed the snake and started to come back down to a more comfortable spot, but soon found it difficult to go on. And as best as he can remember, he became sick as his stomach, at his stomach and fainted. When he came around again, he thought he was dreaming, for he was surrounded by three large Sasquatch about eight to ten feet tall. He noted that they had made a small cut on the snake bite and had somehow removed some of the venom and placed cool moss on the bite. Then one of the Matacogni made a sign of a kind of a grunting sound, and the other two lifted him up and took him down a trail that he didn't know about. Finally, after a little descent down the mountainside, they placed him under a low, bushy tree and left. So, yeah, it's kind of a... <laughs> chance meeting with with a bigfoot and giving bigfoot some fishes ended up saving his life way later because they uh they found him after being bitten by a snake and saved his life wow okay and and on mount shasta no less yeah that's actually a nice little bonus there is that it was on mount shasta <laughs> huh. um yeah uh, that sounded like, I mean, it kind of made me think of some of the stories that I know um, I know Josh Kutchin has talked about with like gifting, Bigfoot yeah. gifting and exchanging stuff. Um, so that's, uh, I thought that, I thought that would be kind of a cool story to, to round out things with. Cause it's a, it's actually, it's not a scary one. It's actually kind of a pleasant one, you know, yeah, but we still have more time. So is that all the notes you took off of it? Oh no, I got more. Um, okay. <laughs> I just see that we've been going for a while here, so I didn't know how long. Uh, let's see. I have, uh, there was one that I skipped over here. Oh, hold on. I got it. So, uh, this one was, this one was really weird. I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, I like those. Yeah. The, those are my favorite. So this said, uh, people near Peavley in Jefferson County, Missouri tell of a ghostly white fox, which has been seen by many farmers and even by motorists on Highway 61 as recently as 1932. Albino foxes are not unknown in the Ozarks, but there was something very special about this one. It was quite tame and had been fired on many times at close range, but without result. Foxhounds seemed aware of its existence, but they would not chase it. Several persons believe that it could transform into a skunk at will. Others say that it actually saw it turn into a short-haired black and white dog with a stump tail. Hmm. So, shape-shifting fox. Yeah. Um, of course, it says it's quite tame, and then it's talking about people shooting at it. And I'm thinking, why are you shooting at it? Yeah. <laughs> Unless they considered it a pest. Like, <laughs> it does seem, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a jerk move. Well, probably <laughs> like, you know, fox hunters, you know, they're probably just hunting for they're like, oh, wow, an albino fox. Yeah, like, yeah. That'll, fetch, mm-hmm. that'll fetch some money if I got a pure white fox hide, you know? <laughs> well, that fox <laughs> seems friendly. Let's shoot it. Yeah. Did they give a time period on yeah. that again, or did I miss it? Or, uh, yeah, it said 1932 was the last time somebody saw oh, okay, it. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, you can still have people doing, like, a, a lot of fur trapping and stuff in that area then, because it was, you know, Appalachia, the Ozarks yeah. are both so remote, man. Um, right. They were kind of on yeah. their own in a different world. Yeah. And plus, people just shoot foxes if they raise chickens and stuff, because they don't want the fox eating their, their chickens, right? True. So, exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah, but I, with a lot of the reports are like that with the black dogs. And I think, well, in Bigfoot cases too, um, people do try to shoot them and either the gun malfunctions or like the bullets don't seem to have an effect at all, you know. Which is standard in a lot of paranormal cases with UFOs, with Bigfoot and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which again yep. suggests so that a similar type of phenomena, even if it's not exactly the same thing. It also leans ag- away from the yep. flesh and blood explanation. Yeah, yeah. I always love the uh, one of the early parts of the Skinwalker Ranch stories where the Gormans or I, I, whichever name you want to use for the family see the giant wolves and shoot at them. Oh yeah, yeah, and it does nothing. Yeah, yeah. Does it? Yeah, it does nothing to them. Like they even see like the hair kind of move, but it's like the the wolves just are like completely indifferent to it. Yeah, that's wild. Um, some of the reports in here, it's almost like the bullet passes through and has no effect at all like like, like they're like um especially with the black dogs there are some where people actually tried to grab the dog or pet it oh, wow. and their hand goes right through it you know like they have no like they're a ghost basically no corporeal reality um so that that's interesting too but it's way scarier to me if you can see the hair flying back and the animal doesn't even seem to notice yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's one tough animal right there so. <laughs> or it's not quite on the same reality right right um well here's another thing i made a note of because this gets more into like the theoretical stuff behind the phenomena they're talking about and they they do kind of like i said earlier they entertain a lot of a lot of ideas that aren't necessarily um uh this one's particularly dated though in a way so and I think it's worth talking about that they quote our Martin Wolf here that uh, UFOs, BHMs, and other paranormal phenomena occur near microwave towers, high-tension power lines, nuclear power installations, hydroelectric dams, bodies of waters, um, missile silos, railroad tracks, and even mobile homes. Uh, most of these having some association with electromagnetic energy. Wolf continues, combine the frequencies produced by an air conditioning unit with those from a television set. Add fluorescent lighting. Although we cannot visually observe the resulting electrical interference patterns, we can consider the fact that patterns produced by microwaves would undoubtedly behave very differently inside an aluminum structure, such as a mobile home, for example, than they would in the open air. If we had the capacity to measure and record our results, and if we could find a mine suitable to receive, register, and transmit the resulting energy interference pattern, we may very well have the formula necessary to create monsters. Huh. So this is kind of like a very 1970s idea, I think, that um, people seeing like pylons and, and um, uh, electrical wires going up in areas where maybe they weren't before. And uh, the idea of like electromagnetic fields and the introduction of microwave radiation from various different sources like what is the cumulative 
what is the cumulative effect of that? And the idea that interference from these electromagnetic patterns are, are can actually manifest monsters or maybe like poke holes in reality. Like, is that what's, what, what's responsible for, you know, a window area, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's well, an idea that I think you used to hear about more. You see in books from the late seventies and early eighties. And then that idea just kind of died. I don't well, know if well, I'm have, wrong about that. I have a book. I want to say Barbara Fisher recommended it, but I'm not sure. Uh, I picked it up called Ele- Electric UFOs, which blames sort of like electrical pollution for like UFO sightings, which of course doesn't work fully because what explains UFOs, UFO sightings before electricity. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, yeah, these different, we don't know what these, these, these different wave, uh, Waves, you know, in everything from internet to phone service to electrical waves. I mean, we don't really know what effect that has on us. And I also think that that's why when yeah. people go out into the wilderness, they are, you know, they're getting away from all that stuff and they may have, you know, poltergeist type experiences and stuff like that and pick up on stuff that normally is being like almost blanketed out by a lot of these, these signals. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's a wild thought, right? Because um, I wonder now, it's like I, they're talking about electromagnetic interference from running an air conditioner and a TV at the same time inside of a mobile home. But nowadays, everybody has Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? And like everybody has a, a smartphone in their pocket. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's um, like... like Maybe instead of producing the effects, as you say, it's actually tamping, like tamping it down or keeping it at bay. And it might, like it might be producing different effects at the same time that aren't like like when we go out into the wilderness, we might be expe- experiencing something more natural and real versus our brains being interfered with by all the different wavelengths and stuff from the electromagnetic spectrum in society. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's stimulating it's those parts really of the brains. It's stimulating those parts of the brains and it's kicking in these experiences in and not all of them, but maybe at times, I mean, we know that that happens. I mean, there, there have been times where we found, pe- you know, some people have electromagnetic sensitivity and will mm-hmm. have very weird experiences mm-hmm. when they're around certain types of electronics. Well, you yeah, have that with Kundalini too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, you wouldn't know anything about that. Which is right. <laughs> uh, well, but there are people who literally can't be around some of the stuff. Like, it, it bothers them. It makes them sick. Oh, wow. Right. I remember Micah Hanks did one of the Grelian reports. He was talking about a case he actually investigated where they thought their house was haunted. And it turned out to be that the woman was just very sensitive to electromagnetic fields. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So, so there's a lot. There's Crazy. a lot going on. And it's hard to, it, it, it's near impossible, really, to kind of like filter out and say this is this and this is this i think i think we're being hit by numerous things from numerous directions and sometimes there's a perfect storm yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of what i think that's what uh this this guy in the book was that they quoted was kind of alluding to is that with the right combination of factors you may you know uh produce like a bird man or a bigfoot or yeah (laughs) just a do do and sometimes there, I mean there is natural electromagnetic radiation too. So absolutely, some of yeah. what we think of as like thin places may may have that particular cocktail built in already. And, you know? uh, Watson's book on uh, the fog made me think a lot about uh, you know the right environment for creating stuff. You know 
because there is recurrence. Of course, the whole book is about Fox. So obviously there's recurrence in there. But I think what we talked about on the show, was there somebody going down like a, a, a storm drain and then the car just never came out again? But it was oh, foggy, yeah. and, you know, and I think the storm drain, I was like, that's like a Faraday cage because I'm sure the whole thing's got rebar in there to hold up the concrete. And, right. you know, you start mixing things together and you're like, yeah, it could have just like, you know, uh, blipped over for a little bit. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. And that one's one of the really weird ones in his book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he uh, is Watson. I'm having back. Uh, I think yeah, I think it's Watson. I have come back on his new book on uh, Canadian Canadian monsters. I think <laughs> he just contacted me yesterday. I think that's what it is. So he'll be back. Yeah. Um. Well, that's cool. Uh, what was I just gonna say? The uh, I also think with the way we perceive things, when we we do experience sometimes these electromagnetic fields or you know bits of energy that our brain doesn't understand, doesn't know what to do with. It could be, like I've said early on, a wandering bit of consciousness floating around. Um, and then our brain gives it an identity. You know, mm-hmm. Kind of like a tulpa, in a sense, except it's not being directly created by us. It's something that's already there. But then it picks up information from our interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a feedback loop in a way. Yeah. It's like takes on characteristics, collaborative almost in a way. Right, right. I mean, there, there was a uh, David Weatherly talks about the one ghost that he investigated that, uh, you know, everyone has, you know, people have pictures of this thing. It's, you know, it, it's been experienced as the same uh, entity by numerous people. And there's a whole story about who this person was. And he looked into it. He's like, oh, this person never existed. That's, yeah. 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 So why are but people it, seeing they, this? Like it, you know, the whole created there. Yeah. Sorry. And then you got the Philip experiment, of course, which is the the, the more famous scient- sort of sort of scientific in- investigation of it, where they literally created a ghost, mm-hmm. gave it a backstory yeah. and everything yeah. else. I mean, if we live in a world of information, then you know when you put that information into something, if it can cohere to it, you know we we can literally create some of this stuff. It doesn't mean we're not experiencing something weird. It's just the way we see it might be defined by whoever sees it first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and then built upon too you know yeah i mean there there are there are so many like it's one thing when you have like okay like i've said bigfoot in the pacific northwest okay that's something that you could see being possible mm-hmm. you know there's so much woodland up there it's conceivable you have a flesh and blood creature the stories are similar when people encounter them but in areas where there's no way a breeding population of these things could exist, there's no mm-hmm. way that's a physical flesh and blood creature. But also when you have these one-off monster accounts where you look at that, you're like, okay, no one has ever experienced like this. This, this person had this one experience. Mm-hmm. It seems genuine, but nobody else follows it up. And it's kind of like, what is that? Was that their brain just slapping the image of a monster on something it didn't understand? You know, it racks yeah. through its library when it comes across this weird energy and goes, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's scary because I don't know what it is. Monsters are scary. We'll give it some horns and some wings. and Or, or a frog head. Yeah, uh, exactly. I always think like the Loveland frog monster. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Frog man. Yep, the Loveland it's such frog. A, frog man, yeah. Yeah, you never hear about that as a recurring no. <laughs> monster anywhere else. 
Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It happened twice, though, in the same place, though, like 20 years apart, I think. Was oh, that really? what it was? Uh, the, the first sighting of the Loveland Frogman is like in the 50s, and it looked totally different. It was like a lumpy, lopsided guy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There was like a couple of them, and it was like holding a wand or something. Yeah. And then there was another, another the other one was in the 70s where the police officer ended up shooting an iguana. Oh, that's right. And uh, claiming that that was the monster, but it didn't fit the description that they had had earlier. So. um but to your point about um uh, about uh bigfoot being in places that you wouldn't expect them i do have a japanese bigfoot story that i i I set aside here well let's uh um, we're just saxon will appreciate this well we're just out of we're we're just about out of time why don't we do it as a patreon okay so um ap where can people follow you where can they find you uh, Twitter is the best place to go find me because that's where I uh, that's where I, that's the social media I actually use. So uh, you're welcome to try to find me elsewhere, but you won't see me post much. <laughs> so that- just search AP Strange on Twitter. The blog is apstrange.com, and uh, the podcast that I try to do with uh, my co-host Shell when when we can is uh, the Eternal Void, but with jazz. So. Uh, <laughs> We got like one or two a month usually. So we've been slacking this month though. <laughs> and uh, uh, Super Inframan? Yeah, you know, I, I hang out on Instagram and uh, Twitter a little bit more these days. But, uh, you know, otherwise I'm here or the Discord. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. There is a lengthy Patreon segment for this show where we cover the rest of the notes that AP Strange made from the Alien Animals book. So if you're not a patron and you want to hear it, become a patron. It's only $3 a month. Helps us keep this show going. You also get the shows a week early. All right. Uh, I'm going to take you out with a band called Darwin. They're from uh, the very local area. One of the members literally lives about 10 minutes away from me. And uh, they came up to play in our performance studio a few weeks ago. And they were really, really good. They have a three-song EP out now. Uh, They're working on a full album. You can go to thelastexit.org, which is my my music show, my heavy music show, where we play metal, punk, stuff like that. Um, And on there, there's a link to our performance channel on YouTube. And with that, you can check out Darwin Live, although there's no audio at the very beginning. We fixed that with in the first song just kind of uh something my sound guy overlooked he forgot to push a button but uh there's lots of stuff there and if you're into heavier music lots of live performances some really good bands on there and uh you can always check out the last exit of the lost at thelastexit.org. there's a whole archive and shows that go all the way back to 1996 not a full archive to 96 unfortunately but sporadic shows back to 96 and lots of stuff there if you're into music Heavy music, that is. Heavy, dark music. If you're not, then it's not for you. But this is Darwin coming off their EP, a song called Terra Cosmos. And I'll see you next time.
you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gorightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living, and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars, or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the fey folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchen. I'd like to invite you into the Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal, a comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self. Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls. You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.